This is uh, <coughs> from the Shoroku, the Book of Equanimity, case 31. Yunmen's Pillars. Introduction. The unique dynamic of transcendence. A crane soars into the sky. The unique road of direct confrontation with reality. A falcon passes the next country. Even if your eyes are like comets, you still don't avoid your mouth being bent down like a carrying pole. But tell me, what doctrine is this? The case. Yunman said, the ancient Buddhas are merged with the open pillars. What level of activity is this? The assembly was speechless. Yunman himself said to them, on South Mountain, raising clouds. On North Mountain, falling rain. The verse. One path of spiritual light has never been concealed from the first. Transcending perception and objects, it is affirmed without affirmation. Going beyond common sense thought, it's adequate without adequacy. The scattered flowers on the cliff in the beehives become honey. The richness of the wild grasses in the musk deer, they make perfume. According with kind, three feet or ten and six. Clearly, whatever you touch is brilliantly magnificent. Thank you for being here. We say a lot of thank yous, but you know, it's one of those things we should not take for granted or get used to. Uh, get used to seeing it, to saying it, and get used to hearing it. We really should feel deeply grateful that we have found this practice and that we have found other people that are willing to share it with us. So I'm very grateful for each and every one of you. So thank you. So we are three weeks away from the end of this full Ango period. And it's an important time to pause and examine the aliveness or deadness, of our engagement with this training period. It seems like we just started this, right? And we are, it's around the corner. We have another Zazenkai to end it. So what are we doing with this? Why do we have two Angos a year? So in general, the requirement during an Ango period is to raise the level of intensity for three main reasons. The first one is to deepen our experiential understanding of Zen. The second one is to cultivate a stronger devotion to the practice. And the third one, 
to further our embodiment of Zen so it can be more organically integrated throughout our everyday expressions and interactions. Of course, these three points are essentially inseparable, but it can be skillful for us to outline them individually for the purpose of creating clarity, attentiveness, and a better sense of direction overall. Now, the third point, third point, to further the embodiment of Zen so it can be more organically available or integrated through our life. The third point is the activity that flows out of dynamic merging, which is, of course, the theme we chose to focus on this angle, during this angle. But that being so, I think it may be helpful for us to recognize that we may not quite understand the real meaning of this theme. Or we may understand it intellectually, but we may not know how to apply it. One of the common issues that seem to frustrate practitioners is the notion of being pulled in many directions by changing circumstances and not being able to maintain a regular practice or show up at the Zendo as often as they would like to. So folks would often express this by saying something like, I stepped away from the practice and I would like to or plan to get back to it. Or I'm too busy right now in my life to keep up with Ango or with the practice in general, but I will resume when things calm down or slow down in my life. And such statements, as common as they are, result from the common mistake of boxing and defining Zen practice and defining our lives outside of that. So the most vital point of engaging with spiritual practice is to cut through all dualities. Yet when we create a mental construct of what we think the practice or tradition is, it becomes, naturally, something we can step in and out of, which only leads to misunderstanding and frustration rather than creating a sense of expansion and liberation. Now we take that which is meant to shed light on unity and we use it to create further divisions. We do it as human beings with all kinds of traditions and religions we have become very good at it. But we have to examine that. We have to look at what the way we are practicing so we can use it differently. Because this is exactly what we need to expose in order to practice correctly. So we need to practice the incorrect ways we need to examine or practice. We need to examine the way we practice so we can expose the incorrect ways we, are, we may be engaging with it and then change it. Or maybe first admit that we are practicing incorrectly. So the aspect of dynamic merging means that maintaining full engagement with the practice has everything to do with whatever you encounter, whatever you encounter during the 24 hours of the day. And it inevitably includes fully embracing whatever circumstances you currently deal with. 
when we understand it in such a way, we realize that it's not a matter of choice, but rather a matter of yielding to life as it appears. Where is the in and out of that? An ancient master once said, within the gate of Buddha affairs, not a single thing is thrown away. Everything. We hear it a lot, we read it a lot, but what does it mean? Everything is practice. What does it mean to practice everything? The creation of mental constructs of Zen practice and the notion of stepping in and out of it is what we experience, but it can also be a great teacher for us since it originates from the contracted, illusory self that Zen aims to expose. And having the privilege of regularly working with students, I get to, to witness the workings of the illusory self and see, see and hear the stress, anguish and drama it creates. Now, this is not meant to diminish the real challenges we encounter and the pain and loss we experience as human beings. It's just that when we are contracted, everything that happens in life is magnified. Our reactivities are on steroids. And we end up feeling defeated and exhausted. We also end up using words like catastrophe. You've heard that last week, right? So we have to not criticize ourselves or each other about that, obviously, but we have to look at it. The words are coming up, right? They're coming out, but they don't just appear. They represent something. They are telling us where we're at. They're telling us exactly what we need to look at so we can free ourselves. Because things are not this or that. Things are just things. The way we meet things creates the illusion, the illusion of it is this way or it is that way. Which is the, the way we magnify or our reactivities magnify what happens. So that's when we are contracted. On the other hand, when we expand a bit, just a little bit, and open up to seeing every encounter in life as an opportunity rather than an obstacle. We intercept the automatic mechanism of our reactivities and enter a more dynamic way of living. There is a way, there is a way to be in a state of internal agreement and trust instead of constantly argue with what happens and be fearful of what we believe it may threaten. Because this is what it comes down to. Something happens. Something always happens. But when we think it is threatening something, then we go on the automatic mechanism, we turn it on or it turns itself on and then off we go. But this is what we may need to stop and examine. What's at stake? What's at stake? What am I worried about essentially? Because that which I'm worried about essentially will inevitably 
is inevitably disintegrating. Warring or not war is not going to change anything. Those are the facts. Yet we pretend as if we can actually do something about it. But we can't. So therefore, being or living in agreement is more conducive, not just more conducive, but it's more in alignment with the way things are. Living in a state of internal agreement, that is. And we each have the potential to live this way, but it requires a great deal of determination and unwavering commitment, which are traits we hone during an ango period. An expansion versus contraction. You know, we can have something that produces noise, a radio or whatever, music player, and put it in a small room, close all the windows and doors and blast it, right? And it's going to be very loud. You can take the same device, put it outside. The noise level is reduced. Not because you touch the volume, because you expand. Because you put it within an expansive realm. So whatever is going on, if we, instead of bothering you trying to change it, we can change ourselves. We can expand, which means allow for all of it to be, and then it's not as loud, it may not be as obnoxious as it seems, or as catastrophic as it may seem. So the responsibility is on us to expand. But first to, first to acknowledge the contracted state of being that we are in. Then we can expand or work on expansion. So that's what we talk about in terms of ango. So if you experience some ango fatigue or some loss of enthusiasm and momentum, turn towards the trust. Turn towards the trust that there is more expansive, there is a more expansive way of being. And that there is a way to feel more liberated and there is a way to cause less harm. There is a way. We don't always feel it. We don't always... We always trust it. But that's what we have to work with. We have to mobilize rather than stagnant. Mobilize that way of being. And okay, I know I feel this way right now. But I can move or it is moving. It is changing. So we may ask, how do I get there? How do I move from a stagnant state of contraction to a dynamic state of expansion? And the entry point can only be this moment. And the actual act of entry must involve a direct and complete embrace of whatever arises in this very moment. So this is the moment and that is the ingredient or the ingredients. So that's the gateway. So I can't say, well, everything is here or this, it's all about this, but I'm going to wait until this subsides or I'm going to wait until I feel differently. Then I'm saying two things. I'm saying it is and it's not at the same time. If it is, it is. 
And if it is, it's unconditional. Otherwise, it is not. Otherwise, we are doomed to repeat what we've been doing so far. In the commentary to this koan, it says, the unique dynamic of transcendence, a crane soars into the sky. The unique road of direct confrontation with reality, a falcon passes the next country. In our, in our study, in our recent study of Shinjin Mei, we discussed one of the versions that translates avoid picking and choosing as being in a state of choiceless awareness. And I think that it is very difficult for us to go beyond our conceptual interpretations of what this means or what we think it means and experience the profound depth of it. It's the same confusion that arises in the mind when we try to understand the meaning of emptiness or the realm of the absolute. And so in pondering the meaning of such terms, we're not only creating a duality, but we are also closing ourselves to the living reality of that which we are trying to figure out. So the, the act of trying to figure it out is creating the blockage, which obviously creates frustration because it doesn't work. Yet only through direct experience, it comes to life and completely fills our body and mind. Only through direct experience. So the unique road of direct confrontation with reality is the most immediate gateway to the unique dynamic of transcendence. Which is why Zen emphasizes engaging with reality through direct experience. Zen doesn't really care much about our intellectual understanding or about our discussions of text, for example. Because we could be sitting around discussing text, which is actually meant to free us, and then use it to become further trapped. Then what's the point, we may ask? This is not working. It's not meant to do anything other than point. And what is it pointing at? If not us, and when, if not now. It's also pointing at our incredible ability or abilities to cut through. Yunmen, who is the teacher in this koan, establishes entire teaching solely on direct confrontation with reality. He wasn't interested in anything else. So Yunmen, I want to talk a little bit about him, <clears throat> was a 9th century Chinese Zen master and the founder of one of the five schools of Zen, which lasted about 300 years. The Yunmen school was, was considered the most steep and challenging one since it went straight to the heart of the matter without providing anything to grasp or anything to stand on. In other words, the the shortcut of all shortcuts. 
The Chinese scholar John C.H. Wu gives a very fitting description of Yunmen's style of teaching, and he said, he wrote, Zen masters, like other people, may be divided into two types. Some are slow breathers, others are fast breathers. Of the founder of the five houses of Zen, Kuei-shan, Tung-shan, and Fai-an belong to the slow breathers, while Linji, Rinzai, and Yunmen belong to the fast breathers. Of these two, Linji breathes fast enough, but Yunmen breathes faster still. Linji's way is intense. He kills his foes in the heat of the battle. He utters shouts under fire. When the lion roars, all other animals take cover. No one can encounter him without his head being chopped off, off by him. It makes no difference whether you are a Buddha, Bodhisattva, or Patriarch. Linchi will not spare you if he should chance to encounter you. So long as you bear a title to occupy any position, Linchi will send out his true men of no title to kill you. So terrible is Linji, but more terrible is Yunmen. Linji only kills those who he happens to encounter. Yunmen's massacre is universal. He does away with all people even before they are born. To him, the true man of no rank or no title is already the second moon, already saying too much. Therefore, a phantom not worth the trouble of killing. Yunmen seldom, if ever, resorts to shouts or beatings. Like a sorcerer, he kills by cursing. His tongue is inconceivably venomous. And what makes the case worse, he is the most eloquent of all Zen masters. What a great description. We need to translate that, right? So we don't get caught up in what we think we hear. But there is, there is that killing. And, and it's very urgent. Well, it's very important we understand what it means. It's very urgent that we practice this way. Otherwise, we become accomplices for one another, right? Otherwise, we help each other stay contracted. So he was considered the most eloquent, yet he knew very well that words and ideas cannot convey the experience or replace it, although he was very good with words. And so he was very stingy with his use of, usage of words. And Yunmen wrote a poem to describe his style, his own style. He said, steep is the mountain of Yunmen, rising straight upward, leaving the white clouds down below. Its streams dashing and eddying about allow no fish to linger around. Well, we say, do not linger. Do not squander. That's what that means. The moment you step into my door, he said, I already know what kind of ideas you brought with you. How does he know? Because he went through that. 
because he also harbored ideas, because he was also stuck, like all of us. So at some point, Yunmen was nominated to become an abbot of a monastery, and the prince came to see him and asked, your humble disciple begs you for instruction. Yunmen said, before your eyes lies no other road. John C.H. Wu said about that, to Yunmen, there is only one road, not many roads. But what is the one road he had in mind? In the answer to this crucial question lies the touchstone of all his teachings. And Zen. And so it is a crucial question we need to deal with. It's just that when we look for it with the conventional eye, it swiftly passes by and disappears. Which is what the introduction implies using the image of a swift falcon. And then it says that even if you are a sharp and brilliant fellow, you still won't be able to describe or grasp it. And then it ends with asking us, what kind of a teaching is that? And so before Human's great realization experience, he was also trying to figure out the answer to such a question. As a young monk, it says, Human delved deeply into the Vinaya branch of Buddhist scriptures, but all his learning did not satisfy his deeper spiritual quest. So he decided to go see Zen master Muju, a disciple of Wang Po, a.k.a. Obaku, Rinzai's teacher. When Muju heard Yun Men coming, he, that was his style, he closed the door to his room. He used to do it with everybody. Yun Men knocked on the door. Muju said, who is it? Yun Men said, it's me, Yun Men. Muju said, what do you want? Yun Men said, I'm not clear about my life. I'd like the master to give me some instruction. Isn't it good to hear the confusion of all those great masters? They weren't born like that. They were only born with the capacity to become like that. Muju then opened the door and taking a look at Yunmen, closed it immediately. Yunmen knocked on the door of his master three days in a row. On the third day, when Muju opened the door, Yunmen stuck his foot in the doorway wanted to be more clever. Muju grabbed Yunmen and yelled, Speak! Speak! When Yunmen began to speak, Muju gave him a shove and said, Too late! Muju then slammed the door, catching and breaking Yunmen's foot. At that moment, Yunmen experienced great enlightenment. Too late. Yunmen later went to study with Jiefeng and succeeded to him. So he did not stay at that monastery. Now, Yunmen's story of realization is a great example 
except for the foot being broken. A great example of embodying great trust, great doubt, and great determination. His determination wasn't wavered by Muju's refusal to see him. And his great doubt combined with his great trust kept him on the path of exploration. And he was relentless because he realized the urgency, he recognized the urgency of clarifying the fundamental point. This is how we need to practice. We keep saying, right, like I said before, we think you keep saying that opportunities are lost. What does it mean? We say it, we say the words, but to really understand, to really grasp that, as soon as we say the words, something in our body must react in the gut. I am going to miss this opportunity now. It's not, well, we're going to chant that and end the day and go home and do whatever. Because that's how we finish the Zazenkai, right? It's got to mean something. Not for Zen, but for us today. Opportunities are lost. You see somebody, you hang out with them. They go one way, you go another way. The opportunity to say what you want is gone and may be gone forever. Because we don't know. The opportunity to appreciate this moment of course, it's going to be gone. We think, well, there'll be other moments I can appreciate later on when things calm down in my life. I have too much going on. There's one way. There's only one way. It's not our way or their way. Or There's only one way. And that way always has to do with Directly confronting reality as it is. Because where else would it be? So in this koan, Yuman addressed his students and said, The ancient Buddhas are merged with the open pillars. What level of activity is this? You can adjust position if you need. Ancient Buddhas are merged with the open pillars. What level of activity is this? What is he talking about? So simply put, this is about the merging of our conventional everyday life and the timeless, birthless continuum, which we often refer to as the merging of sameness and differences, emptinesses and form, absolute and relative, as practitioners, we hear this quite often. Another one of those things we hear and chant often. Read about it. Hold discussions. And Yunmen is expressing this in a different way by pointing at the tangible pillars, probably referring to the pillars that support the monastery building. He's saying, 
That which cannot be seen is already merged with that which is seen and tangible, out in the open, available to all. That which you are looking for is already merged with that which is right in front of your eyes today. But it's not just making a mere statement about the merging of emptiness and form. He's turning the responsibility to his students and to each of us by asking what level of activity this is. He's saying, yeah, this is the way it is, but what level of activity is that? Then, yeah, who is he asking? Should we wait for him to answer or should we try to rise to the occasion and express something? So what kind of activity is this? Well, it's not the kind of activity we witness in our society. The egoic behavior, the hostile speech, the hatred and discrimination, and the act of violence all originate from our blindness to the emptiness within the form or to the sameness within the differences. And Zazen offers a direct way to address this blindness and open up the Buddha eye that is able to see the nothingness within ourselves and getting in touch with it through direct experience, it can naturally proliferate and impact, have great impact on the actions, on the speech and action that we use. And Shikantaza is an incredible way to Experience it in Shikantaza, just sitting. It intercepts something. It sheds light on something. Usual pattern we follow by habit is sequential. It is experienced and manifest in the way we string together thoughts, in the way we map out the day before we step out of the house in the morning, in the way we sum it all up at the end of the day. It's the way we function in the realm of relativity. But it's also the way emptiness expresses itself through the form or an expression of sameness within the differences. And so in the deep state of Shikantaza, we are totally immersed, totally immersed in this observation, but there is no specific thing to observe and there is no person that is doing the observation. In other words, awareness becomes aware of itself and all notions of duality just drop away. Now, this depth of practice does take time and lots of zazen, but for the time being, we can practice single-mindedness by becoming aware of the drifting mind and returning to just this. So we can keep coming back to just this leaving aside the commentaries, just practice being. And the more often we do that, the sharper the awareness level will be. So the state of choicelessness 
or choiceless awareness. This is what it is talking about. So as we become more proficient with the practice of shikantaza, we develop a more immediate access to this state of choiceless awareness, which then manifests in our activity as living, as, as a living equanimity, not just equanimity as a word. It's an expression of living equanimity, we can say, or a state of engaged neutrality. The word neutrality, as we use it in practice, can also be misunderstood, right? We think neutral means neither this nor that and having no, having no power maybe, being neutral. But it doesn't mean that at all. <coughs> a couple of days ago, I was working with a student, Aikido, it was a private lesson, and we work on an opening, just receiving an attack and just practicing the actual meeting point of meeting the attack. And so I was trying to teach him the, the stance and the extension. How do you meet an attack without resisting it? With power, but without an agenda. Right? So we talked about the extension from the ground up, staying rooted and allowing the ground to support you rather than the muscles or the structure of the body. So when the body is in alignment with the ground and there is extension with both arms, relaxed extension, which is neutral extension, then it's almost like when you try to attack, it's almost like you meet a wall. Because essentially what happens when, when you meet it this way, the attacker feels like they are hitting the ground, trying to move the ground. Because you are aligned from the point of contact straight down to the ground. Now, when you push a little bit with one hand or the other, that's already representing an agenda or fear. When you contract a little bit, again, agenda or fear. So the neutrality that we speak of is a state of choicelessness or choiceless awareness. No agenda. Now, of course, it's very difficult to practice it physically, but also mentally, psychologically. It's very difficult to be at a state of having no agenda. But if we are, if we are at ease before the meeting point, then we are at ease during the meeting point because the ease is not threatened by what's happening because we already come in with ease. So it's not like, well, we are at ease, but this is threatening my ease. The ease is already ease. Ease is I-S, right? The easiness is already ease. So there is, then it becomes easier to reside in a, in a state of choiceless awareness with having no agenda because you're not trying to gain anything and you're not worried about losing anything. And it's incredible because it's, it's deeply nurturing and it's effective too. So although we have we all have an innate capacity to be this way, to live and function in such a way. It still takes time to hone, to bring this capacity to fruition. 
I thought about this. Maybe I watched a, a documentary about uh, birds of prey, and it was about the bald eagle. And they described how the bald eagle takes a very long time with their the parents, guided by their parents, takes a very long time to develop the natural ability to be sharply in tune with their environment and to, come, to become proficient at using their innate capacity for hunting. Of course, they, they, are, they are great hunters. But it's not that they're just, they, are, they hatch and they open the wings and they fly and they, become, they are already great hand, hunters. There is a process to learn how to bring those capacities to life. And that's exactly like us. We have the capacity and we have to trust it. Maybe that's the difference. They trust without knowing that they trust it. So when Yunman asked his students, the ancient Buddhas are merged with the open pillars. What level of activity is this? Nobody responded. Nobody responded. They were waiting for him. Well, he is the teacher. He's going to tell us what kind of activity is that. He used to do it often. He would ask a question and he would wait. And then he would answer on their behalf. So then he answered and he said, on South Mountain, raising clouds, on North Mountain, falling rain. And the footnote to that says, old man Chang drinks wine. Old man Li gets drunk. Now, when we hear this, this footnote, it seems to fly in the face of our conventional mind and defy logic. How can this be here and that be that over there? It just makes no sense. But what human refers to is the root of all appearances and it allows for the development of conventional logic. In other words, it is the nothingness that gives rise to the somethingness. Or so because you are not here, you're able to be here. And you may remember that from the Diamond Sutra study. Because it is not, it is. If, it's, if it wasn't for the no, there will be no yes. Not, not the negation, but if it's not for the nothingness as potential, empty potential, where will something come out of? Why Yunmen said, one of his quotes, having nothing is much far better than having something good. Because you cannot have something good if you don't have nothing. Because the nothing is allow, does allow by itself, it allows what we call good, what we call bad, and then what we call in between those two. The verse, one path of spiritual light has never been concealed from, from the first. Transcending perception and object, 
It is affirmed without affirmation. Going beyond common sense thought, it is adequate without adequacy. It's going beyond common sense thought. So we say go against the grain. We mean go against you. Right? That's the process. Not against as resisting, but the fight. Or go in the other direction. The scattered flowers on the cliff in the beehives become honey. The richness of the wild grasses in the musk deer, they make perfume. In the footnote, magical productions are boundless. Like flowers on the cliff, we may not be able to see them, but the bees see them and they make sweet honey from them. How is it possible? Right? The richness of ordinary things produces the extraordinary. So we often talk about appreciating, right? About caring, about... It's not just Zen being uptight about stuff. Right? When you grab something, hold it, care for it. The, the, the holding itself needs to be an expression of care. Whatever we hold, doesn't matter what we hold. Because if it matters what we hold, that becomes the, the gateway to further suffering. And that becomes the, this is where likes and dislikes come from. I will care for what I like. I will not care for what I don't like. Of course, it makes sense. Right? Logically, why would I care for what I don't like? According with kind, three feet or ten and six. And the footnote says, Manchu is high, Mount An is low. The staff is long, the whisk is short. Differences do not have the capacity to hide unity, but we do. There are all kinds. It is true that this is this way and that is that way. But it's also true that this and that are not, not two. That's where logic ends, which is fine. And this is where we enter uncharted territory or territories which we need to step into. This is what Zen is talking about. Step outside of what you think. Well, step outside of what you think. Clearly, whatever you touch is brilliantly magnificent. And the footnote says, when it is thrust in your face, there is no place to hide. But it's always thrust, it's always in our face, right? When is it, is, when it is not in our face? Where do we go to hide anyway? Right? Where do we go if not into concepts? So there's no place to hide. And all of us are included. Everyone is it. No matter how you look, how you sound, or whether or not you think you're enlightened or deluded.
I want to finish with two examples from Yunmen's teaching. Now, you know, the fact that Yunmen's school did not survive, well, actually, I think the fact that it survived 300 years is quite an incredible thing. You know, knowing how, how challenging it was to be a student, or reading about it. So it's great that it did survive for 300 years, but, but it is, obviously, because we are studying, we are talking about Yunmen's teachings, we are enjoying the depth of his practice. So it is alive and well. So Yunmen entered the hall to address the monks, saying, why are you all aimlessly coming here looking for something? I only know how to eat and shit. What use is there in explaining anything else? You've taken pilgrimages everywhere, studying Zen and inquiring about the way. But I ask you, what have you all learned in these places? Let's see it and check it out. In the midst of all of this, what's the master of your own house attained? You've trailed around behind some old fellows grabbing something they have already chewed on and spit and then calling it your own. Then you say, I understand Zen or I understand the Tao. Even if you can recite the whole Buddhist canon, what will you do with it? Right? What will you do with it is the question. How is it helping you right now? Because if it's not about confronting reality or encountering reality alive, then what else is there? Right? Anything else is just a veneer, an overlay. Another instance, a monk asked, how should one act during every hour of the day in such a way that the ancestors are not betrayed? Right? How do I follow this path? Yunman said, give up your effort. The monk said, how should I give up my effort? Yunman said, give up the words you just uttered. Give it up. It's the trying that creates the barrier. It's not that there is no, there are no challenges. Obviously, there are challenges. And it's not that we can just be transported. Right? Like, like the bald eagle, it takes time. But it's how we practice that matters. Right? So that's why, again and again, we go back to the great determination, which is the most important thing, because if I engage in thinking about, is it my practice? Should I practice something else? Do I have time to practice? Should I stay engaged or drop, or drop out of it? Then this is how we create the barrier. Right? And this is way too much effort. Right? So to give up that, and to just show up to the cushion, to the zendo, to your practice, to the moment, however it appears, then there's only one way. There's only one practice. 
and there's only one moment. Everything else is just distractions. Thank you.